You found this podcast probably because you know a little bit about our ministry called Time of Grace and are passionate about connecting people to God through all kinds of media. Well, did you know that we do a lot more besides just television and podcasting? If you check out our website, timeofgrace.org, you're going to find tons of ways to learn about the good news of Jesus, from daily written devotions to daily video devotions, tons of podcasts, blogs, our Bible basic series called Bible Breath, and books and books and resources and more resources to help you in your walk with God. So if you're interested in any of that, just go to timeofgrace.org. Well, hello, 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 everyone. Pastor Mike here from Time of Grace. Uh, so excited to have you here on this Behind the Series podcast. We are blessed and we're privileged and we're humbled and we're overwhelmed. A- Amber, is, are those all the words you wanted me to say to introduce you? Those I are lost great it. synonyms. I like them all. Thank you. I, lo- I forgot the email that you sent me to introduce you. <laughs> the smartest, <laughs> wisest, best Christian ever since the days of Jesus. Don't forget humble. <laughs> I think I added humble at the end. You really did. Make sure to put that in. We're actually super happy to have Amber L.B. Swenson back on the Behind the Series podcast. We're digging into a brand new sermon series coming up that's called Help Me Have More. Uh, This isn't a series about greed or money or earthly prosperity. Uh, That title, Help Me Have More, is more of the stuff that God wants for us. So more spiritual blessings in Jesus, more kindness and love for people, more joy and peace as the Spirit opens our eyes to see what God has. So Amber and I are going to dig into uh, four different messages from that series as we talk about having more kindness, experiencing more joy, finding more peace through Jesus, and here's a tough one, finding more patience in a very impatient world. So Amber, great to have you back. How's life? Uh, Not too bad. How about you? Enjoying summer? I am. Although you and I, before the podcast, talked about a possible camping trip I'm planning where some of the people on this call didn't think I would make it back. This might be the last podcast I ever record (laughs) before my death in the wilderness. (laughs) Anybody who's listening to this, make sure you say a prayer for Pastor Mike and his family. That's all. Indeed. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Let's let's dive in, huh? Where do you want to start with Help Me Have More? Yeah, great introduction. It leads me right into where I want to go with this because you started this series off. The first sermon is called Help Me to Have More Kindness. And you started this sermon by saying, you know, if your goal is to be more beautiful or rich, you know, I can't do a lot for you. But if you want to be more kind, that's awesome because that's what God wants for you too. So just in general, how do we align our wants and our desires with God so that we're praying for things that he actually wants to give us? Yeah. Yeah. I like the way you phrase that. So God is predisposed to say yes to certain prayers because they're always good for us. Um, I kind of noticed this as a parent. Um, I, we often do the, you know, read, do a devotion, read the Bible at night, and then just go around the room. Hey, everyone say one thing you want to pray about. And I've just noticed with my own family how, especially with the kids, how instinctive it is for us to think about me and physical things and right here and right now and mm-hmm. have a good day and let me do well in my volleyball game. And yeah. these, these aren't bad prayers, but I've just kind of noticed from my own kids, it's not natural to think long-term spiritual matters of the heart. Um, so your question is a good one. How do you, you know, how do, how do you switch a little bit in your own thinking to prioritize the things that God prioritizes. Have I ever told you, Amber, about the 
the nerdy research I did a few years ago where I skimmed through the entire New Testament and I tracked every single prayer request from Matthew to Revelation. No, sounds yeah. very interesting. It was. And I had basically two columns. I wanted to see what kind of things people asked Jesus for before they were his disciples. Hmm. You know, someone from the crowd shouted, Jesus, help me with, you know, fill in the blank. And then I compared, you know, what the, we would say the world or the crowd wanted from God. And then I compared it to like, well, what did Paul want people to pray for when he's writing Ephesians or first Thessalonians, or what did Peter and John ask for after following Jesus for a bit? And it was, it was super interesting. So in the first column, when people came to Jesus, if they weren't like real disciples, 75% of the time they wanted healing food here and now physical stuff. But after following Jesus and learning about the kingdom of God and the things of the soul and the spirit, the number flips and only one out of four prayer requests from Christian people are for physical things. It, it almost kind of mirrored the Lord's prayer, you know, where there's yeah. physical stuff in there, give me daily yeah. bread, but it's way outnumbered by, Ooh, and forgive me and lead me not into temptation and you know, let your kingdom come and glory in your name and your will and all these other things. So I, I think maybe my rambling, not short answer to your question, how do you, how do you align your heart with God's? I, I think if you start in the word and see what the first followers of Jesus were passionate about, what God consistently talks about, I, I think the word is going to help us pray in a really good balanced, long-term way, just like the early Christians did. What a great thing to do. Were you surprised at that when you started studying that and looking into it? Or did you sort of think that that's where it was going to go? I didn't expect it to be that imbalanced. Yeah. You know, I expected there to be, oh yeah, you think, you know, more about eternal things. If you're a Christian, that makes sense. But right. to see it was, I mean, I think of the average prayer requests that come in for our church, you know, hey, write a prayer, everyone on the back right. of your communication card. And how many of those are actually, I'm praying for the salvation of my brother Yeah. or God, help me resist this temptation. And those are just totally overwhelmed by cure my cancer let there be good weather and the, the war with Russia and Ukraine. So you, even for Christians attending my church, it's not natural to think of spiritual and eternal things. Yeah. And as you were talking about that, I was like, man, Paul never asked to be released from prison. You know, yes. we don't have a prayer for him saying, and make sure that, you know, you keep him your prayers that if God would just get me out of here, I could do so much more for him. Or, yeah. I mean, that's not to say that he never prayed it. It's just that it's not recorded for us. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting given that so many of the times when he was writing, he was in prison or under house arrest or, yeah, you know, not able to travel. Yeah. Perfect example. Hmm. All right. So <laughs> real question, Mike, does your church sell suck it up for Jesus t-shirts? <laughs> yeah. Just wondering, can you get me one? <laughs> yeah. If you're, if you're confused by that. Um, maybe you're going to have to listen to the whole sermon for the whole story, but maybe once when I was a younger, less, less mature pastor, I told an <laughs> a older bit, woman a on a very cold day. Oh, don't, don't sway the audience already. They haven't heard the whole story. <laughs> maybe I use the phrase, suck it up for Jesus. So this is so great. Amber within a week of, of sharing that story in this series, I had a guy come hand me like a, a nicely wrapped gift and inside he had personalized a sweatshirt that was just for me that just said, 
suck it up for Jesus. The week after that, there's a guy sitting in the back row of church and I can see my name, my name is on the front of his t-shirt. I'm like, what is that? It's his bright blue t-shirt. And it all it said, it's the only sermon quote that anyone has ever put on a t-shirt. Suck it up for Jesus quote, Mike Novotny. That <laughs> so is awesome. We don't sell them, but they have showed up on multiple occasions. So true story though, true question. Why are you so transparent about a weakness or a failing like that? I mean, that's fairly embarrassing, I would think. And you, you just, you're so open about that. Why? Oh man. You have no shame, Mike. Is that it? <laughs> when, when your reputation is as soiled as mine is, you, you can say anything. No, truthfully, oh, because I, I, truthfully, I think a lot of people in your position would have a hard time, you know, actually admitting that. Because people might think less of you. Yeah. It, experience has taught me 99 times out of 100 that when I tell the truth, even if the truth is embarrassing, it, it is like a, a narrow door that opens up into a big room of blessings. Like when I'm with my friends and I'm like, I don't want to tell them the stuff I'm struggling with, when I'm transparent with them, Ugh. I mean, to not have to hide, to actually be known, to have people really praying for me and encouraging me and reminding me about Jesus. And I find that when I do that publicly, when I'm given a sermon, it just gives people permission. It gives people permission to confess without fearing that they're going to be quickly judged. It's much easier to say, I do that too, than be the first one in the room to say, hey, None of you probably struggle with this, but I just need to sit like, that's hard. Yeah. And so I've just seen it's awkward, but on the other side of that awkward is something really beautiful that I, I'm just never going to give up. I remember you talking about a Bible study where you knew the behind the scenes that so many people were struggling with stuff and you mm -hmm. were waiting for someone to bring it up. Like, because you knew if somebody would be brave enough to say, yes. I'm struggling with this and they just didn't. You know, they, they just all kind of sat there and you were like, man, if just one person can open up, like so many people would say, give me too, or I'm yeah. struggling with this too, but yeah, it takes a certain level of courage to be able to do that. And it's good yeah. for us to remember that it's important though. Yeah. It's huge. I mean, there's a really narrow road, I think between faking it, you know, never opening up, never going to that kind of nervous place of confession and being flippant about it. Yeah. You know, I'm a, I call these like hot, hot mess, mommy blogs, you know, yeah. I'm a hot mess. Everything is a hot mess. And it's just like, well, Hey, none of us are perfect. That's let's give each other grace. Like, no, no, the, the Bible is not flippant about the sins that I commit or anyone. And so to find the really narrow road between those two, where I'm going to be open about it, but I'm not going to minimize it or say, Oh, it's pretty funny. You won't believe how drunk I got, you know, whatever it is, mm -hmm. man, that's, that's hard to do, but with God's help and we can walk that road of honesty and holiness, man, the, the church just becomes a beautiful place to follow Jesus. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I know that you and I tend to sort of be the same type of person in terms of we talk and then sometimes have to pull back because things come out before we fully think about it. I don't but, know what you're talking about. I can't relate. <laughs> oh, oh, there it is. But I can think of a million things that I've said that were really incredibly stupid. You know what I mean? So like, mm. 
I have them in my mind anyway. And it seems to me that Satan loves to use those. Like you said, if you don't bring them out into the open, Mm -hmm. Satan loves to remind me of the times that I said that to that person and how stupid that was. And I, I saw a Martin Luther quote, oh, several years ago now that said something like when Satan throws my sin in my face, I say, yes, that's true. I deserve hell, but I rely on the blood of Jesus Christ. Mm, yes. And um, I just think there's really some huge benefits that come from bringing this stuff out into the open if we're courageous enough to do it in the right yeah, in the right places at the right times. Yeah, yeah. It's a kindness. I think you, especially for new people who step into a Bible study or a Christian church service, and they just assume, oh, this is where the good people are. It is such a kindness to like, no, this is actually where sick sinners are running to the cross of Jesus. So it's a kind invitation to get people closer to the gospel when we're transparent with our own transgressions of the law. Oh, I love that. That's beautiful. Okay. You said, this is a quote. This could go on a t-shirt. The problem with kind is that it costs us. So it is easier to wear the t-shirt that says, Hey, be kind, or to sing the song that tells us all to be kind than to actually be kind. So for all of us who are super driven, because one of the things that you said, you said, it's going to cost us, it's going to cost us time. We're going to have to slow down. It may cost us money. Um, so for all of us who are kind of type a and super driven, why should we be making kindness and the idea of help me to have more of this? maybe a priority in our life. I, Amber, you're, the timing of this question is convicting to me. So can we pass and move on to the next one? No, absolutely no. not. I was just thinking, we, so my family gets together every week um, with my four family members and my two parents and my mother-in-law. And it, it just really hit me this week. You know, I'm like box check-in grab a meal with my family. I got to get this done and check this and this. And as I was like rushing, leaving, driving home, it just hits me. Like, I bet, I bet what my mom really wants is not just to eat dinner next to me, but to have an unrushed conversation with me. You're absolutely right. As a mother, I can tell you, you you're absolutely right. (laughs) She's not thinking, let me just make some food and then you scarf it down and then I'll see you next Sunday. (laughs) Oh, but yeah, that was just like, oh man, Mike, what do you, uh, when it's all said and done, you know, if we could, um, is it the seven habits of highly effective people that all book that encourage you to fast forward to your funeral? Like, what do you want people to say? Yeah. He was so productive. I remember that time he just like, he rushed out of the conversation with me so he could get things done. What a great guy. (laughs) No, we kind of know in the end, what matters are are people and being productive and having, being a type A person can be a a great way to serve people, but it can also become a, you know, too much of a good thing. That's a bad thing. And when that costs us kindness and we're checking our phones and rushing out the door to the next thing, like, Yep. I got to remind myself what, what matters more than checking this box is loving this person. Have you ever heard of the five finger salute? No, I just learned about it. I went to a youth rally and I think the guy's name, the presenter's name was Jake Unke from divine savior Academy. Anyway, he's a fiat teacher. And he said, you can tell a lot from your hand, or you can be reminded a lot from your hand. So the thumbs up is to be positive. So with other people to be positive, the pointer finger is to think of me in terms of, you know, instead of worrying about what he's doing over there or she's Mm. doing over there and talking like, 
oh, did you see what she did? Like point to yourself and be like, wait a second, what am I doing? Mm, like, yes. Am I being kind? And since we don't put the middle finger up, we tap our thumb with it. And when we tap our thumb with it, it looks like a, like a chicken, you know, yakking. And that's to remember, because if you give someone the bird, it's disrespectful. So don't be disrespectful when you're talking. Mm. And then the, the fourth finger is your commitment finger. It's where we wear a ring. And so remember your commitments, remember your commitment, Mike, to your mom and mm. to your, to your wife and to your children. And then the pinky is to remember the least of these. And mm. when you had said in the kindness sermon that like, you might have to slow down and limp along with the person. I just remembered the five finger salute, which I heard it once. And I've repeated it multiple times now mm. to so many people, because it stuck with me that, you know what, this makes a lot of sense. If we, if we can just look at our hand and remember our commitments and remember to worry more about ourselves than what mm. other people are doing. And if we, you know, look at the least of these around us. I think we're going to be more kind. Wow. That's, that's awesome. Thank yeah. you. You said Jake Unke. He deserves some so. super props. That's, that's, that's memorable. And that's brilliant teaching. I need yeah, that. Thank you. Sure. All okay. right. I'm going to call my, should I hang up on you so I can call my mom? <laughs> um, maybe not just yet. Um, Amber said, I got to call you. You got four minutes. Go. What do you want to talk about? <laughs> did, did, I, did I read you right? Hi, Mike's mom. Hey. Um, <laughs> so sermon like number two <laughs> is right. talking about joy. We're going to talk about joy because that reminds me of your mother. I'm sure she's a very joyful woman. She had you. Um, I just used my pointer finger because I was reminding me to think only of myself. <laughs> oh, so. I thought you were doing like making me vomit when you thought of me. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I can't lie. So I'm not going to, I'm just going to plead the fifth. We're only going to get a four-star review for <laughs> making fun of each other on this podcast. So with joy, I loved how you did this. You talked about bad joy, good joy, God joy. And so very briefly, I'm going to just say the bad joy are the things that we find happiness and pleasure in that are sinful, that God wouldn't have us do like getting drunk or sleeping with whoever we want or that type of thing. And the world celebrates bad joy. I mean, it's not just for, I have young adults at home. So we have this discussion so often, you know, the, the stream is going this way and God is kind of saying, but the path of blessing and obedience takes you this way. You know, why should any of us go through the stigma of avoiding bad joy? Yeah. Tell me what you mean by stigma. Like when people push back on you, make fun of you. Yeah. Just the having to continually go against the stream. And why is it that we shouldn't just lean into the bad joy and just have the pleasure for today, go after all the happiness mm. that we can get. I mean, that's what the world is going to tell you. Sure. So why should we live life differently? Yeah. I, I give two biblical answers. One tomorrow and two eternity. Yeah. So, you know, bad joy, I, I've never used meth before or heroin, but from what I've heard, it's kind of a rush. Why am I not doing it? Well, because tomorrow it's going to cost me, even in this life, even before I stand before the throne of God for judgment, it's going to cost me so many things. So why not have too many drinks? Why not split a whole bottle of wine with a friend? Why not say what I want to say about the president or about my boss or whatever? Well, because there's there's regret. There's 
guilt. There's, you know, you laugh now, but then you drive in the car at home and you're just like, why did I say that? You feel, you feel terrible. Your conscience bothers you. So God doesn't just like make up a bunch of stuff and say, don't do that just because like, just like a good father. He's like, don't do that because it's going to hurt you. Right. I don't want you to eat dessert because you're going to get sick. So God's saying, I don't want you to sin, not because I'm trying to take joy or pleasure or happiness from you, but because I actually want you to have that tomorrow and not just today. And then, let's say even if the hangover isn't so immediate, then there's God. So I would much rather have God say to me for all eternity, well done. Like Just like the prophets and just like my son, Jesus, you didn't, you didn't give in to the moment. Like you couldn't see me, but you loved me and that you, you couldn't make the world and me happy at the same time. You chose me. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is, there is a greater joy in having a heavenly father <laughs> boast to the angels about the obedience of his children than whatever sin could offer me in this life. So Jesus in Matthew five said, Hey, if, if people insult you, if they look down on you, if, if there's some stigma, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. So just thinking biblically, why not sin? Why avoid the stigma? I could think about tomorrow. I could think about forever, but in either case, following God is the best path to walk. Awesome. So good joys are those blessings that God gives us to enjoy. So what are some of your favorite good joys? Oh oh man. Yeah. I sometimes call them this moments. Like this Mm -hmm. is a little glimpse of God. My friend, John, I've got, I went 40 years without knowing this. Did you know if you have a cast iron skillet, you're making breakfast. You just take like a whole package of string cheese, throw it on there. It, it browns it up and it is the most delicious. I could die of a heart attack by, <laughs> by next summer, but I've been eating like grilled up grilled cheese, like whole packs of it at a time. And it brings me such happiness. I was not expecting that. I don't know why. <laughs> I should have been expecting that, but that is, I seriously thought you were going to say something about Kim and your kids. Yeah, my children, they're great too, but the the girl, the string cheese. Oh my goodness. Oh, girls, you're almost at the same level as the string cheese, but it just melts in my mouth. If you, you're judging me now, but once you try it, you're going to be like, I take that back. (laughs) I don't think I'll try it. So I'll take your word for it. Oh my goodness. I'll be eating my, uh turkey sausage so oh wow that's a low blow right there Amber. you know that's a trigger for me turkey sausage kim's trying to kill me with her healthy food but I know. in any case yeah. good joys yes family trips nature we've done a lot more kind of hiking trails and finding waterfalls on our summer trips which has been like oh, so glorious and good Can I stop you right there? Because I'm really seriously wondering if you're going to answer that question the same after you get back from your camping trip. (laughs) Yes, I never had to sleep in a tent. I just hiked a mile from the car and saw something glorious. So I might take that back. Yeah, lots of good choice. I mean, I love uh, Isaiah 6. That's where the angels are saying to one another, the whole earth is full of God's glory. Mm -hmm. So it's not just Sunday morning here in the gospel. Um, the whole earth, the waterfalls, the, the grandkids, the cheese in the cast iron skillet, a good cup of coffee. You know, there's so many ways to be like, yes, God made this to give me a glimpse of his goodness and the happiness that I'm going to feel forever. So that's good joy. Mm. And then God joy, 
that's sort of the joy and the, I mean, it's, it's just the joy that we get of walking with God. It's walking in God's presence and, you know, reading his word and knowing he's with us, knowing he's here, no matter what, but what do you do to bolster your God joys, to sustain you during really, really tough seasons? Mm, So we don't always feel God's presence. I mean, Mm -hmm. faith is not feeling it right. Faith is knowing he's there when you can't feel it. And, um, you know, we've just finished a really heartbreaking series on my podcast, little things with people who have lost their children. They didn't lose them. They went to heaven, but, um, you know, the God joy is important and that, that is what sustains us. But what about during the super, super tough times in our life? What can we do to make sure that we're getting that God joy? Oh man. Yeah. I don't. I don't want to spout off a quick answer, even if it's biblically correct without thinking about the circumstances, like the ones you mentioned. So someone might be listening whose spouse just said, I'm done. And, you know, brought up divorce or someone who wanted to start a family and things aren't working out with fertility, people who've lost jobs, people who are dealing with the news of cancer. Like, so right. The the world is it's like birth pains, Romans eight says. And so when we're talking about having joy, like there's some underlying rock that we can stand on. That's actually really good news that brings happiness to our heart. I mean, that's a, that's a big thing in the midst of those moments to have something as you're wiping away the tears to say, but, but here's this great thing that Jesus gave me. Um, so there's, there's no shortcut to this. It takes a whole lot of help from the Holy spirit and a whole lot of encouragement from God's people. But I can share just this week, a woman from our church found out she had cancer and she's really anxious and worried about it. And what I told her was, forgive the cheesy rhyme. I said, a a psalm a day keeps your fear at bay. I originally was going to say to her, a psalm a day keeps your fear away. And I thought, no, that's probably not realistic, but I can push back and keep at bay this fear that wants to take over my heart because the Psalms, here's some other research that I did. King David, um, he writes just over 75 of the Psalms, about half of them. And in the vast majority, he's really honest about the tough stuff, right? So he's sinned, he's committed adultery or King Saul's chasing him down through the desert or his own son, Absalom has betrayed him. Like he knows what it's like to struggle. And yet, and yet he so often talks about joy and being glad mm-hmm. and the happiness that he finds in the fact that God is his rock and his hiding place, his refuge, his strong tower. Um, the sons of Korah in Psalm 46 say, even though the, the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, I can be still because the God of Jacob is my fortress. Yeah. Right. So I think if I'm going to give people, where do you start in those moments where you're just not feeling it and there's zero joy left, like run to the Psalms and they will tell you, that even when you feel like you're in the bottom, there's a glorious God who's walking through the valley down to the bottom with you. Yeah. And I love the reminder for God's people to be encouragers too. You know, you said you need a whole lot of people around you encouraging you. Hmm. I have, um, I've been working at a nursing home for a while now. And one of the residents is entering her final phase of life. And I've had the chance to talk to her a couple of times and there is nothing easy about this. There's nothing easy about knowing you are going to be dead in a month or six weeks or whatever. Hmm. 
And so she's asked me a bunch of questions. And um, the other day I was able to say, you know, think of all the times in the past that God has been faithful. I mean, just think of the, the worries and the struggles that you've dealt with in the 97 years of your life and how he's rescued you from those in the past. Cause I can name, you know, I, I can spout off five right off the top of my head of ways that God has rescued me in the middle of these like times that we thought, man, I don't know how we're going to make it. And I said, if God can be faithful to you during your life, I'm pretty sure he can be faithful to you during your death too. Mm -hmm. And just the idea that man, when other Christians will come alongside of us and, and remind us of those, and it's not trite, it's not trite to be in the depths and have your friends send you a Psalm or, mm -hmm. you know, to say to you, I am praying for you. And I am praying that you remember that God is your refuge. Mm. And I, I think that's a huge part of it, of us keeping yeah. our joy in the middle of, of the yucky. The yeah, tough. that's beautiful. That kind of connects the first two things we've talked about, huh? Mm -hmm. The, the yeah. kindness of a Christian friend can increase the joy of another Christian. Yeah. And that leads us right into the third sermon, which was help me to have more peace. And almost everyone that you meet, if you talk to them long enough, you know, they'll start telling you some of the things that are going on in their life. And so many times they say, you know, I'm just trying to make it to this, or if I can get this worked out, or if we can just figure out how to make this happen, then I'll be happy or I'll relax or I'll be less anxious. Or what's the problem with thinking like that? <laughs> It's a lie. Period. <laughs> Why? It's it's like straight up Ecclesiastes. It's like chasing the wind. So you, I mean, think about it logically. If I get this raise, or if I get this job, if I could just have this kid, or if I would meet the the special someone, if we could just finally close on a house, or if I would be cancer free. Well, here's 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 my test for you. How about you interview? five people who have the thing that you think is going to make you totally peaceful and see if they're actually peaceful. Oh yeah, that's right. So you're going to get that thing and then there's going to be another thing and then you're going to get that thing. And then there's going to be a third thing. So yeah, like fi finding your peace in the circumstances of life, it, it never satisfies. Um, yeah. Didn't Jesus say that's like building your house on sinking sand? Like, you know, the, the, the waves will just wash it away. Yeah. Those circumstances will come and they'll go and there'll yeah. always be something. Oh, I've noticed that I've been uh, to, for good, but mostly bad, a super like numbers, competitive tracking stats kind of thing. Uh, I can remember as a new pastor, there was a little book in a drawer where the ushers used to write down the church attendance for every week. And I used to, I was addicted to that thing and just like seeing is the church growing? Is the church growing? Oh, we actually got above X number of people. Yes. What a great Sunday. Um, so, <laughs> you know, number one, that's a great way to throw away your joy and your peace. Number two, I'm actually like right now at our church is probably the most fruitful, like biggest numerical growth that I've experienced in 15 years as a pastor. And at a staff meeting yesterday, as we were kind of looking, uh, glancing at the numbers, I realized I'm so used to the the new impressive number that it's not impressive anymore. Oh. You know, it's like God exploded and all these people came and I'm just kind of used to that number of people in church. And so now <laughs> it might be 75 more than it was a year ago, but if it's 25 less than it was a week ago, I'm like, oh, oh yeah, where was yeah. everyone? So 
that's just the human heart. It's elusive, right? It's elusive. The idea, the concept of peace is always going to be somewhere, somewhere else. Yeah. So true. So those are just various ways that should hopefully remind us like, no, 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 no heart. I know you think that, but that's not true. (laughs) And I got to pick plan B, you know, seeking the kingdom of God to find an answer and to find more peace. My dear friend, Rhoda Woolley, um, told me a while ago, she said, whatever it is that you take for granted, other people are praying for. So if you can step out of your bed in the morning on feet that work, there's someone somewhere in the world who's praying to have that ability. Mm-hmm. And if you go and you turn on your faucet and there's running water, there are people in this world who are praying for clean water. Yeah. And if you can go to your cupboard and open it up and there's food there, there are people all over this world that are praying that they would have the food to make it through the day. And when you start looking at life like that, then instead of worrying about what you don't have, you start thanking God for what you do have mm. and the whole perspective thing changes and yeah. you realize how good God has been to you. And, and even to those people who don't have that, they can still find the things to be grateful for in their life if we're finding our peace in God. Yes. Yeah, that's beautiful. So you talk about five areas, um, financial physical, relational, cultural, and spiritual. And these areas tend to hijack our peace. So we can always count on some part of this being out of whack. I mean, we might have our finances in order, but we've been super sick or our relationships aren't going that great, but spiritually we're doing awesome. And then you say, but God, how can we say that God is the answer to our peace again, without sounding trite when people have serious problems. Hmm. Yeah. I think a huge part, forgive my uh, awkward pause there. I'm just thinking of a woman I know really, really strong in her faith, pretty passionate supporter of time of grace and follows what we do. And she loses her husband who she dearly loves. And I remember her saying to me, I know God, but I just, I just want to give my husband a hug. Yeah. I know God is better than my husband's hug, but what I really want, honestly, Mike. <laughs> yeah. So how do you not, when you're face to face in moments of life like that, how do you not sound trite or flippant with people? Um, yeah, forgive me for being repetitive, but I'm just going back to the the Psalms are not trite. The Psalms aren't saying, well, you know, don't worry, be happy. God is awesome. I mean, they're, they're gritty and they're honest. And sometimes they're like (laughs) opening up about what a mess it is and this battle in my own heart. So if repetition is the mother of learning, and that's why I told this woman from our church, like a Psalm a day. um, Yep. You might not believe me today that, that God's going to get you through it. And that God's enough for your heart. That seems crazy right now. But just let the glory of God and the goodness and the faithfulness of his love, let that wear you down and wrestle that doubt and fear in your heart. And the Holy Spirit will get you there. And when he pins that fear down, you're going to experience the peace that goes beyond understanding. So I think a a trite thing to say would be, well, here, I'm going to tell you the answer is God is here. Okay, fixed it. Have a good one. Stop worrying. (laughs) No, it's having the compassion to be like, okay, this is going to be a battle for lots of us. Yeah. And this is the right answer. I'm not going to change that answer, but I'm going to try to give it with a lot of grace and a lot of patience, knowing that, you know, we're all works in progress. And if God hadn't taken 
care of the most important thing that we needed, which was our forgiveness of sins that leads us into his presence forever. I mean, it doesn't matter what else he had given us. We could never have peace Yeah, because we would never, ever be able to get beyond this. Yeah. So at some point, I mean, as much as our emotions don't want us to get beyond, man, there is so much comfort in knowing that even if the worst case scenario happened, our loved ones are with Jesus and that's where we're headed to. And it may seem like a really long 20 years or 20 months or whatever, but he took care of it. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's the piece, you know? Yep. Okay. Patience. Oh, help me to have more patience. I'm sure you pray that. I don't, I don't pray that I have all the patience that I need, Mike. I'm, I'm good. I think this is why I introduced you as the best Christian ever at the start of this. podcast. <laughs> so you introduced this sermon in a way that made so much sense. Cause you were saying, you know, does it really matter if the other driver goes first before you or cuts you off in traffic or does it really matter if the ref made the right call or if the coach did the right thing? And I get that like on a mental level, Mike, I totally understand what you're saying. Makes total sense. It's just that when you're in the car at the time Mm. or when you're in the bleachers at the time, little pastor Mike is not whispering in my ear, Amber, this doesn't really matter. Mm. So how do we get past letting such minor things just totally control so much of our day? Hmm. Do you know that old C.S. Lewis quote that said, if you want to find out if there's rats in the cellar, don't open the door slowly. I've never heard that. Yeah, it was his way of and saying. I don't think I wanted to quite honestly. <laughs> you know, doom, doom, doom. You got these big heavy footsteps and you're opening the little door that leads to the cellar. Although the rats have already scattered away, but if you whip that door open without warning, ooh, you see them. And I think the circumstances you're describing are ways to help us see the actual, what the Bible says, the actual sinfulness of the human heart. Mm-hmm. You know, when I don't have, okay, in 15 seconds, this guy's going to cut you off and be patient. Like I can, yeah, I can do that. But when boom, you just confront me with a situation and out of the overflow of my heart, my mouth will speak. Ooh. Yeah, you know, th- That's when I see me. That was inside of me. And it just took the right situation for me to see that. So <laughs> I wrote down on my notes here when I got your question, like, why do we let minor things control our feelings? <laughs> I, I wrote, quote, because we are bad. <laughs> because that's right. we love to say we're, you know, such great enlightened people, but those situations, like, yeah, and you stop and think about it, wow. Who, who am I that here, this guy's driving two miles an hour under the speed limit. And I'm so, yeah. imp- I'm so important that this is worth yelling and making the whole car ride awkward for the kids. Like, wow. And the Bible says we're bad in a really bad direct way, but sometimes we don't believe it until those moments. So as much as I want to like provide some help and encouragement and grace when we sin, sometimes we need that kind of stuff to actually believe what the Bible says about us. Yeah, no kidding. And I think if we could ever remember that relationships are so much more important than those little things, Hmm. you know, I'm at a point with my kids. I know that my family is going through serious changes and in the next year and two, my house will be significantly different than it is right now. And so I'm actually 
spending a little bit more time thinking about my relationship with my children mm. and what I want them to remember about me. And now, of course, now that I'm nearing the end and my kids are going to be moving out, I can overlook so much that I couldn't overlook when I didn't see the end. You know, now I don't care if they forget to pick up their towel because I'm like, oh, won't be my problem in a year, you know? Mm -hmm. yes. Um, but, yes. but man, when you don't have that perspective and you don't see that, you can just let those little things just creep under your skin and really cause a lot of friction in relationships. Yep. Unfortunately. Yeah, it's true. I had a bad week with that. Kim and I were uh, set to go on a date on Saturday yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I was super excited about it. It was a good day. We were super excited. We went from a wedding ceremony. So you're thinking about, you know, relationships and love. And, um, I'd ask, you know, Kim, what you want to do? And she wanted to go out to this. She had a gift card for some wine and appetizer place. And then like, oh, things weren't working out and there's a little bit of confusion. So I said, well, you know, what do you want to do? And she's like, oh, well, I don't know. How about you decide? So I come up with three ideas like, Hey, we could do this or we could do B or we could do C. And then she didn't like any of them. And then I get kind of impatient and moody. Like, listen, you can't, you can't put the ball in my court. If I'm going to do the work and come up with three options, and then you're going to shoot all of them down. Then you got to tell me what you want. And at you know, this I point, no one wants to go on a date. <laughs> like almost, at this I, point, everybody's like, you know what I really want to do? I want you to go away. I want not, so I, I want can have my bubble bath. <laughs> All I want. Mike. That's so true. And like the, the, the cruddiness of it was not only do I realize, okay, this doesn't matter. Like it's you, you were miscommunicating, yeah. take a deep breath. Like it took me half the date to get just out of that annoyed, totally. impatient spot. And I'm like, ah, come on. This is a little thing. Come on heart. This isn't a big thing. <laughs> Snap out of it. Like she's a great person. You have a great marriage. Yeah. Oh, so God, if nothing else, I mean, my own frailty, it just makes me appreciate how great God is. Oh, I mean, for sure. I mean, I, yeah, my, it's not a my husband and I had words like right before I got on here and then he's like, have a good interview. I'm like, I will. I'm talking about kindness and joy and peace and patience. Oh, I'll have a great interview. Thank you very much, Steve. So I know exactly how it is. I always know when the devil, the devil knows when, you know, you're trying to do something and he's like, yeah, it doesn't take much with you. Does it Amber? It doesn't yeah. take much at all. So true. Hey, but real quick, doesn't that yeah. make you love God though? I mean, we are, oh. how patient is he with us? I mean, we're, we're so petty and we get thrown off the, our walk with him by the slightest distraction. Yet he's, he is such a good father his mercy is new every morning and he's his what does first timothy one say you know god paul said god had mercy on me so that he might display his unlimited patience for those who would believe so just thinking yeah. i mean i'm decades into being sure. a christian i'm still so immature sometimes in my faith and so weak and yet there is god always waiting for me to you know realize it and come back to him he's always got his arms open so man sometimes when I realize how bad the situation is, I realize how good our God is too. And I have learned with children and my spouse, I can't take credit for any of this. I know that I would screw everything up. If left to me, if I didn't pray all the time, like, Lord, please put Steve and I on the same page and put love in my heart for him and love in his heart for me. If I wasn't praying for my children to walk with the Lord, I have no doubt. I mean, I could screw it up every which way. So I can't take any credit for anything because I always stumble. So mm -hmm. it's all God. 
Yeah. Okay. So you talk about the second point was be patient with God. And that's sort of laughable because of what we were just saying. I mean, who are we to feel like, oh yeah, God, don't worry. I'll be patient with you while you work things out the way I want them to be. But in all truth, God's timeline is so often so different than ours. So have you found a way to make the waiting easier? You know, when things aren't going the way you want to, you had mentioned, you know, when you're trying to have a baby and the fertility and, Mm. you know, if the relationship, what have you found that helps when God's timeline is so different than yours? Oh, man. What, what is the answer or what works for me? Cause I'm, <laughs> yeah, the, can we know, put it had... on a t-shirt? If you say something <laughs> stupid, that's all I want to know. <laughs> oh man. I, I just got done writing this book about the parable, of the sower. And it just struck me that that little seed, um, has so much potential to grow, you know, whether it's a seed in the garden or how about the human seed and human developments with people being born, but beautiful things in nature and even beautiful people, they don't grow in a day or a week or a month or a year. You know, the, the nature that we love, I mean, how, how long did it take for that forest to grow? Um, the young adults that you're raising, I mean, they can crack some funny jokes and do some amazing things now, but they, they couldn't do that when they were one or two. So, you know, all around us, God is, we just have these phones in our hands that are working at 5g speed. And we, we think, we just think that's how good things happen. And God created the natural world, human development included to remind us like, no, 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 no. Like I made a promise to Adam and Eve and it, it took a little bit for Jesus to show up and crush the devil's head. And I told the children of Israel that, you know, the Messiah was coming, but it was 700 years after Isaiah said a virgin will be with child. Like the, the biblical timeline and nature's timeline is so different than our technological timeline that I think really being rooted in the scriptures and seeing, do a Bible study. Okay. God gave a promise to Abraham and Sarah that they'd have a child. How long did that take? God gave Joseph a dream that his brothers would bow down to him. How long did that take? (laughs) God said through Malachi, Ooh, my messenger is coming to prepare the way. How long did that take? Uh, And maybe that expectations are everything. So maybe starting with the Bible instead of our technology, can help us have really good expectations about when God's blessing is going to arrive. And just realizing that sometimes our prayers aren't answered in our lifetime. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that God isn't going to answer them. I think of my grandpa's prayers and I think of other people's prayers that are being answered now that he never saw. Mm -hmm. He prayed prayers that, you know, were left unanswered, but that's faith is to pray the prayers and trust God will work it out in his time and his way, whether or not we see the answer. Like so yes. many of the people in the old Testament didn't see their answers. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't, they didn't see the Messiah come. They, they trusted, Yeah. but even, you know, Israel being in Egypt for 400 years. Yes. Yeah. Blessed are those coming. Have, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Yeah. Jesus said to Thomas. So that, that feels fitting. Okay. So, so many of us know addicts. Um, we talk that your last point is that God is patient with me. And you talked about addiction and it seems to be the whole addiction thing seems to be way more of a journey than an on-off switch. Mm-hmm. I, I guess some people quit alcohol or drugs, cold Turkey, but 
for a whole lot more people, there's a journey and it's a process and there's relapses and it doesn't matter if it's sex addiction or food addiction or retail therapy or, or whatever the addiction is. How can we be sure that God is patient with us when we mm. fall again and again and again in our addictions? Yeah. Maybe a couple of listeners out there know that addiction is actually part of my story. Um, so sadly, even as a, a Bible going, Jesus believing church kid, I kind of got sucked into the world of pornography and uh, definitely as the internet was being invented, that wasn't a blessing to my story and uh, really got stuck in just regret and relapse for way, way, way too long. Uh, so by the grace of God, uh, many years ago, I was able to get some help uh, to honestly confess that sin, to experience some restoration and healing. I'm in a really good spot now when it comes to those things. But because of that experience, I've always had a big heart for people struggling with addiction. You know, for those who it's it's day two and they're right back where they were before. And it's really helped me appreciate the gospel that God gives to addicts of all types. So it's really shaped my understanding of the patience of God and the people of God. Um, there's a little, little piece of cardboard when I was in high school where I copied a single Bible passage and I set it, um, I set it on the bookshelf near the end of my bed. So as I'm laying in bed, uh, you know, just experiencing regret after another relapse, there's, there's one Bible out of 31,000 Bible passages, there's one Bible passage that looks at me every night. And the passage was first Timothy chapter one, verse 15, where the apostle Paul, um, he said he was the worst of sinners. But he said, God had mercy on me, the worst of sinners, so that in me, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience hmm. for those who believe. And I mean, that passage, like I've, I'm not sure if technically on the list of however many billion humans I was the worst, but I felt like the worst. You know, when you say, I'm sorry, God, and then you, you don't act like it, and you don't choose the path of sorrow and repentance. So to have that passage say, okay, even if I am the worst, even if I'm at the bottom, like the, the worst sinner on the planet, there is unlimited patience and there is unconditional love and there's grace for a person like me. So I, I think, you know, so much of our discussion today has been getting back to the word. We'll kind of correct yeah. our, our off thinking. And I think that's true here. If you think you've, you've, you know, exhausted the patience of God and he's done with you read first Timothy chapter one, um, page your Bible back to lamentations three, where Jeremiah says, you know, I, I remember the bitterness and the gall of what I did, but then I call this to mind and this gives me hope. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord's mercies are new every morning. It is so good to wait on the God who fulfills his promises. So that's how I'm sure. I don't, I don't feel it, but I have an inspired word from the Holy Spirit who cannot lie that helps me to believe it even when I don't feel it. Uh, that's going to help people. That's going to help people to hear that and to remember that. That's huge. It was a great series. I hope everybody tunes in and listens to these sermons. You'll get a lot out of them and it will turn you back to an eternal perspective when we're so often running after the things of this world. So yeah. well done. Thank you. Thanks for some great questions too. So once again, I'm here with Amber LB Swenson. We're talking about behind the series of a brand new sermon series called Help Me Have More. We're thinking about the fruit of the spirit from Galatians 5, the stuff that we all want. And before we say goodbye, just one quick thing. It's a big month here for Time of Grace. Uh, some of you know that a couple times a year, we're blessed by these incredibly generous people who challenge us to be generous too. So this month, we have a 
$1,000 challenge grant, which is kind of a fancy way of saying someone is, is challenging us to see if we can give $155,000, not just to feel great about our own generosity, but to help people who really don't know the kindness of God. And they don't know the joy of having Jesus at the end of the day. And they haven't experienced the peace that goes beyond understanding, or they don't know about the patience of God for the worst of sinners. So I'd love for you to be a part of this challenge grant. Uh, it's happening all this month. And connected with that, we have an amazing new resource by our friend, Linda Buxa. You know, Linda, don't you? I love Linda. Oh, Linda. I love her. I love her. Yes. She's an awesome example of faith. So she's written a great devotional book called Visible Faith. And it's connected to these same topics and the fruit of the spirit. Like we, we all want faith that's visible to the world, a bright shining light. She's going to help us get there as she centers our attention on the words of God. So you can learn a ton more about that if you go to timeofgrace.org. Otherwise, Amber, thank you. Man, you're a, you're a good conversationalist. I think all of us at Time of Grace, um, we kind of knew that. And now we really know that. So I'm grateful that you're making time to talk about behind the series on Help Me Have More. Any this closing very, thoughts for our friends? Very, very tactful way to say you like to talk. So I appreciate that. <laughs> Everybody at Time of Grace knew that you like to talk. Thank you. Well, I will take that. You're like a like a more stronger Christian female version of me. So we need someone to stop like the train of words that come out of my mouth. And you and I balance each other well. So I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for you too. And awesome. I hope. And pray that you make it back from your camping trip. <laughs> that's not until, that's not months from now. I'm just doing the research now. So maybe okay. I'll talk myself well, off we'll, that ledge. We'll be praying for you so that you, <laughs> we'll start praying now <laughs> that you come back months from now. Man, I think I could fight a bear. Didn't King no. David fight like the lion and the bear? I'm going to. that was, oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so but those he bears had come spent after a lot of time. He had spent a lot of, Mike, no. We all know you're like a gazelle. I think that's the word that you used. You're like a gazelle. So just take one child under each arm. I don't care that they're 14 or 15 years old now. And Kim is a runner too. So just you don't fight the bear. Just take off. I think this is good advice. This feels like the right spot to end this podcast. So <laughs> thanks everyone out there for listening. Hope uh, some or a lot of this conversation was a blessing to you and your faith. And we'll catch you next time on Behind the Series. Have a great day.